Okay, um, I have this little sign-up sheet in the back. You'll find this. We, we have a lady that we know that has a, a large need. Some circumstances happened in her life. And so what we are doing is she needs a lot of stuff done at the place where she lives. She has to move out of the place where she's at. And so she needs some painting done. Uh, she has like an acre of weeds that have to be actually cleaned up before she leaves and taken to the dump. Some flooring needs to be ripped up. Some tile and carpet needs to be put down. Uh, she has all the supplies. We just need some labor. So on July uh, 25th and 26th, the Saturday and a Sunday, if you have some time, uh, would you go in the back and sign up on this? And we'll just call you and you can come and work for a little bit and, and help somebody out. Okay? Okay. So, uh, yesterday was 4th of July, obviously, and all of you still have your fingers, so that is good when Sean had you hold those up. Uh, we, had a, we had a really good time yesterday if you came to the barbecue. If you didn't, oh, bummer, you're a loss. Oh, I'm going to talk about this, don't I? Sorry. Okay. Uh, sorry, forget what I just said. We're going to talk about this for a second. Th- this is uh, Change Their View. We're doing uh, August 6th and 7th. We are trying to do... We're going to do this... Uh, I know, I'm totally spacing out now. Uh, we're going to do this event, and what it is, it's changed their view of everything. This is about kids, changing their view of who Jesus is, changing their view of who you are as a parent. Uh, so if you don't ever have a lot of fun with your kids, you're going to have a lot of fun with your kids at this event. The whole point of this is to get you having fun with your kids, whether they're 5 or 15 uh, we've got different activities for all of that. Get together, have fun with your kids. We're going to teach you also how to do a couple lessons with your kids so that you can maybe actually speak to them about Jesus when you feel very uncomfortable. You know, talking to them about you know, the Bible or some type of lesson, you're like, I don't know what to do. We're going to help you do that. And it's all going to be in this event. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And we'll even splash green goo on you if you would like it. I just love how James is totally in the front of the picture with his really creepy mustache and everything. So uh, after this service, there's going to be sign-ups right outside this door. You can sign up for that. Uh, and invite your neighbors. Uh, you know, maybe you have some neighbors who maybe the relationship with their kids isn't as strong or as good as it could be. Invite them. Say, hey, come to this thing. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be like high pressure. It's just going to be a lot of fun teaching you how to have fun with your kids. So change their view. We're going to actually do more of these in the future. But yeah, I love Sean Jones in the back. He's like, okay, so here we go. So yesterday was 4th of July. I think I said this. Sounds like deja vu. Okay, so yesterday was 4th of July. Uh, a guy named John Human let us use his property. If you went to it, there are some cards in the back, and I would appreciate if you would sign that, just a thank you card to say, thanks for letting us come out to your place and uh, letting us you know, get it all dirty and use your barbecue and stuff. So say thanks. In the middle of this, we had a kickball game. Kickball kind of looks like this. There's Eddie. See, he's like... Action shot. You can't, the, the blue ball kind of... You know, mixes in with the sky, but the blue ball is right there. So this is it. Now, you may think, oh, kickball, you know, there's not a lot of effort in that. Well, I'll tell you, th- this is Bill Shipsy, okay? Okay, so that's Bill Shipsy, all right? Now, now Bill Shipsy, uh, apparently kickball is his thing, okay? Because, I mean, he goes all out for kickball. So here he is getting ready to kick the ball. See, here it comes. He's like, yeah! Okay, here's the next one. Whoa! <laughs> Th- this is the best one. But the ball's moving. See it? It's going. Yes. Okay. So, so here, here's the aftermath. This one's even better. Kickball game's an element. See, that's what happens when you play kickball with us because we're wild. Okay. Um, la- last announcement I got for you before we, we hit the message is this. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys are... 
English majors or stuff like that, but uh, I write a lot of stuff to hand out, and I really need somebody to help proof a lot of the stuff that we do. Uh, if you are somebody who is good at that, not just like, oh, I can read English, but you know, you're, you're actually somebody who knows how to prove, knows how to read, you have a little extra time on your hands. I've actually written a book, and I actually need and somebody to go through and edit this thing for me. Uh, I've given it to a few people and stuff, but I want to get it done. And then if you know somebody like Zondervan or Crossway or Simon & Schuster, that'd be great too. Let me know. Cause... But if you want, come and talk to me when we're done if you are somebody who does that and you're good at it. Good is the operative word. Cause... All right. Why don't you stand on the reading of God's Word? Did you just get brighter first all of a sudden? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, this is Ecclesiastes 7, 16 through 18. <clears throat> and it says this, Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would uh, teach us to be a people who learn how to live in the tension of this life, uh, where we are those who are in the world, but we are protected, uh, living the life that you call us to. Have us learn to really be your kids. Amen. Have a seat. Okay. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 17. That's where we're at this week. Uh, in John 17, you get to one of the greatest places, I think, in Scripture. This is where Jesus actually prays for you and I. Sometimes I think if I could have one thing with Jesus, what would it be? You know, maybe I could ask him any question like, why does everything taste like chicken? Or, why does everything that's good for me taste so bad? I, you know, something like that. But then I thought, you know, if I could have Jesus lay his hands on me and pray for me, that would really be amazing. You know, because Jesus is somebody, he knows all of my junk. He knows all my junk better than I know my junk. He knows what he has called in me. He knows what is true of me. This is now hours before Jesus' death, and he prays for his disciples and for us. We are actually on his mind at this moment. And what happens when Jesus prays this prayer, as you will see, if you've been here for any length of time going through John, Jesus actually recaps his ministry in this prayer of all the things that he has done. So John 17, verse 1, Jesus starts and he recaps his mission. His mission. Uh, 17, 1, 2, it says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. That's Jesus' mission right there. To glorify the Father, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those who you, those you have given him. Now, he now explains salvation as a gift. Eternal life floods into our present and explodes into our life. It continues throughout eternity. He gives us life because the Father gave him authority to do so. And authority in our world today is a very, very tricky subject because people don't like the word authority. You know, as you and I go out into the world, people ask, what authority do you have to say the things that you say? And simply, it is Jesus' authority. In the Matthew, uh, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Has been given to me. And then Jesus sends us out with that authority. Um, in verse 3, he talks about, there it is, talks about eternal life. In verse 3, uh, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, this is, eternal life is, in this verse, knowing God. That is eternal life. It's not just exchange of information. Uh, it, is, it is about life and love and intimacy. In the scriptures, you see in, in the book of Genesis, when you see Adam and he goes and he lays with his wife Eve, and it says, and he knew her. That is biblical sense, and that is intimacy. Uh, here in scripture, the word for know has these exact connotations that God knows us more deeply and more intimately than anybody else could ever know us. 
And when we love Jesus and we come to God, all of a sudden through that, the Father gives us eternal life and that is salvation because he knows us. And then in verse 4 and 5, it talks about God's glory. It says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus is finishing his work at this moment. He's going to die and resurrect, conquer our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. His work is almost done, but not the work that he gave you and I to do, which we'll see in a moment. He goes on, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so Jesus makes a, makes a whole statement about his eternalness. He is God, always has been, always will be, Alpha and Omega. The next thing he prays for is belief. Again, if you've been through John, you will see how each of these things go along with exactly how Jesus' ministry went in John. He goes, belief, verse 6 through 8. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They, are, they were yours. You gave them to me, and I have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So eternal life is knowing God, and when you can, you can tell you have that by faith. When you have faith, you want to obey. You want to follow. You don't just want to get around what he says. You actually want to do what he says. You love him, and you want to be with him. He then talks about our security. Verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. That's our security. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. And so Jesus now lays out two opposing kingdoms. He talks about the world. Scripture says the world and its desires are passing away. The world are all the ways of thinking that are opposed to God. Then he talks about those with eternal life, those who see it as a privilege and an honor to love and follow Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus prays for his kids, but not the world because the world itself is condemned. Now, we live here, and we don't think it's such a bad place because we live in the middle of it. But in the eyes of a holy and righteous God, it's a little messed up. It's why the book of Revelation speaks about a new heavens and a new earth, redeemed, restored, renewed. Jesus prays for those people in the world that would come to know him, but not for the world itself. And then Jesus now talks about unity, verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they, that's you and I, are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So make them one unity and that guy, Judas Iscariot, He's jacked. Yeah, that's, that's how that goes. Zechariah 11, 11, verses 12 and 13, actually foresees Judas' betrayal of stabbing Jesus in the back. He looked like Jesus wanted, one of Jesus' kids, but he was not. He had a uniform, but he wasn't really on the team. Everyone given to Jesus gets life. And then Jesus talks about hated and loved, which we looked at three weeks ago. Uh, verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And it's interesting. He prays for us because the world will hate those who claim the name of Christ. He knows we need his grace in the midst of this. He says, even though they hate you, I'm going to pray for your joy in the middle of that. This is paradox. This is tension. And paradox and tension becomes what we're going to talk about the rest of the morning. You know, hated but having joy. Augustine equated the scriptures to like a pharmacy. It's like a vaccination. Like, like in polio, you take a live culture, you inject it into a baby, and the baby's body fights that, and it builds up immunities to it. But if the culture is too strong, it will kill the infant. The scriptures vaccinate us and bring us to life, but some people hate it because it exposes their death. 
So some people hate the scriptures and they hate the Lord of the scriptures and they hate the people who love the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13 tells you love is not rude. So as a Christian, I will tell you up front, you do not have to be a jerk for people to hate you. Sometimes it will just happen anyway. Sometimes people hate you and the more that you love them and you respond to them with love, the more angry that they get. They pick a fight with you and you want to be nice and all of a sudden because you're nice, they just get more and more angry. Jesus says that you will be hated for loving people. And verse 15, and this is where we're going to camp today for a little bit. Uh, This verse is what the heart, I think, of what I element to actually be as a church. Verse, Verse 15 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And this is tension. You know, in America, you have two teams. You have liberals and conservatives. The church also has those same two teams. You have liberals, and they like change, which is very good, but they don't run with the word of God, which is bad. Then you have conservatives, and conservatives, you know, we call these uh, fundamentalists. I don't know why they got fun in their name because they're not a whole lot of fun. Uh, But they don't like change, which is bad, but they love the word of God, which is good. And so they come to this, and they say, not that you take them out of the world. And the liberals go, yay. And the fundamentalists say, protect them from the evil one, the evil one, you know. And it's like one or the other. And it is both. Jesus prays for both. Now, how many of you come from a tradition that says, uh, don't sin and don't even look like you're sinning? Anybody? Okay, okay. A few of you there. You know, so they tell you ways to be protected from the evil one. They give you rules to be protected. You know, what are those rules? It's like no drinking, no smoking, no no rock and roll, you know, because Satan plays the guitar apparently. You know, it's like he was tattooed with piercings and he smoked and drank cheap American beer. That's why God kicked him out of heaven. It's like Amps, Inc. and Budweiser. God couldn't take it anymore and he says, you got to go. You can't live here with that. They forbid TV. They forbid dancing because if you dance, you might just have sex. Only if you have phenomenal balance, okay? <laughs> I'm thinking maybe, maybe if, if, you could, if you could do that. Maybe you earned it. I don't know, but, you know. <laughs> Protected from the evil one. That's what I'm saying. You know, some of you are told the child of God should avoid every appearance of evil. You know, some of you are told this. If you go to a bad youth group, they tell you this all the time. It's not in the Bible. People say, oh, it's in there somewhere. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22, the King James Version says... You know, avoid every appearance of evil. Bad translation. The actual word is avoid every kind of evil or every form of evil. Now, if you are a legalist, is there any way possible to never look like you're sinning? No. No, legalist thinks everything's a sin. You know, oh, you buckled up. That's a sin. You have no faith in God. Oh, you didn't buckle up. That's a sin. You didn't follow the law. What's wrong with you? And you're damned no matter what you do. You can't get around it. You know, oh, it looks like you're sinning, so you should stop. Anybody ever say that to you? It looks like... Yeah, exactly. Some people think you're always sinning because there's something wrong with them. Okay? Not necessarily something wrong with you. Did Jesus avoid the appearance of evil? No, he did not. You know, what was bang on Jesus? He worked on the Sabbath. All his friends are whores. He's hanging out with the Hooters girls. You know, what's up with Jesus? <laughs> he eats with those you shouldn't eat with. And he eats a lot. Keeps going back to the salad bar over and over and over. Uh, he drinks. So they called him a drunkard. The first miracle Jesus did, he makes 180 gallons of wine. Why? They drank the rest. That's why. And it was good wine. You know, religious people got mad at Jesus because sinners liked him. Religious people would have no problem at all if he made a bottle of wine and smacked people with it, you know, but give it to him to drink, and all of a sudden there, there's something wrong with that. He wasn't avoiding the appearance of evil. Now, did Jesus sin? No, not at all. Hebrews 4.15 says he has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. People say, well, don't drink a beer, don't eat a bucket of wings, don't tell jokes, don't laugh in church, because you might just look like Jesus. 
And, well, we couldn't really have that. And they say, well, don't be involved in the world. Stay away from it. And Jesus prays, don't take them out of the world. I mean, what do you have to do to connect and relate and know people in our world? You've got to connect to culture. You've got to figure out what that is. You know, it's like what? Like music. Music is the language that people identify with and connect to. It helps them relate to their feelings. So you identify music. Film. The biggest pulpit in the USA is film. People go there to get their stories these days. Film. You know, preachers are called filmmakers, and they're putting forth their ideologies. Uh, anybody got a TiVo? You know? Yeah. TiVo, greatest invention of the 20th century. I will tell you, it, it is great. I record, all, I, I record uh, the Teen Choice Music Awards. I record the MTV Music Awards. I record all kinds of weird stuff. All the time I record stuff because I want to see what culture is thinking. And I watch it and I watch it critically. But if you have a TiVo, you should watch some stuff that's out there. You know, don't just watch like, oh, I like Dawson's Creek or, you know, whatever you watch. I don't know. I'm going to, you know. I never grew out of junior high. I'm going to watch... You know, anyway, uh, you know, don't just record your shows. Record some other stuff that, so you can see what's going on and what people are thinking. Record that stuff and watch it. Uh, values, what do people care about? What sports do they care about? Why do people live together rather than wanting to actually get married? What are the top radio programs on the radio? People are thirsty. The children of God have streams of living water, but culture continually drinks out of the toilet. And because the culture drinks out of the toilet, people look and say, we can't be involved in the world. It's a dark, sick place. Well, it's dark and it's sick because people are thirsty. And if we have good, clean water, we should give them an alternative to the toilet. Jesus wants us in the world. If you are unmarried or married, you know what you should do? You need to read the Song of Solomon. You need to understand that because that's a good idea to understand sexuality. Well, actually, uh, next year in september we're going to actually go through the song of solomon just gear your, take a year to gear yourself up for that one i'll tell you that because if you have a problem with some of the things i say now wait till we get there uh, <laughs> uh you know if, if you're a rush limbaugh fan you need to understand the problems are not just all out there the problems are in here we are evil the evil is in us and we can't change anything until we ourselves are actually changed because the world reflects our hearts there's no good guys and bad guys we're all bad guys and then there's jesus that's how it works that means that we don't just go into culture to participate just because it's fun but so we'll understand people we're, we are all missionaries in the city in which we live, in the cultures where you are, we are all missionaries, and we have to understand the culture in which we live. Um, and so you watch things with a good eye. You figure out what culture is trying to preach to you, and so you can critically know how to take the gospel and relate that in terms that people can understand. Now, being protected from the evil one. You know, being in the world means that you go out with your friends, and if all your friends grab a beer, you grab one too. You know, if you can handle it, if you're not like an AA or something and, and you can handle it, that's what you do. If they proceed to get hammered, you don't, okay? Uh, you love them. Even maybe sometimes maybe they're sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. They're totally messing up their lives. And when they try to get you to sin with them, you say, no, I understand why you do what you do, but it's wrong, but I still love you, okay? Involved. I mean, this is tension. This is tension. It means that we understand but don't participate in much of the sin that's out there. I mean, there's a difference between innocence and naivete. Okay? A lot of people are just naive and they're not innocent. Anybody raised in a Christian home? Anybody? Okay. Uh, you know, your parents don't watch the sin, so rather than making you innocent, they make you naive. Jesus tells us to be innocent, which is good, but not naive because that's bad. You know, some, some Christian parents won't ever, ever talk to their kids about sex. And it's, and it's like, oh, we don't talk about sex. That, that's, just, that's just terrible talk. And, but you need to. 
You need to. They're going to come home and go, people are having sex. What is that? And you can't go, oh, it's terrible. It's glorious. Okay? Sex is, is beautiful and wonderful. and need to understand the correct context of it and how God made it and why it is good. I mean, honestly, um, I, people have done some marriage classes and they've asked me to come talk about sex and them because I love talking about sex. <laughs> go figure. And because I figure what better place in the world to talk about sex than in a church. If God created it and he created it good, we should be talking about it because it needs to be done correctly. Correctly. Um, anybody ever go to college and maybe you said, always heard that, oh, you know, you only should read the Bible and, and don't read anything else out there. And you get to college and your philosophy 101 professor just blows your head off in the first quarter. Because you've never heard these arguments before, and you're like, "What's?" And you're ready to like bag Christ in the first quarter because you've never heard any of these arguments that are out there, you know. Uh, or I, I know Christian kids have walked into a frat party in their in their first quarter of college, and they start drinking too much because they were naive and not innocent. There's a big difference. If you don't have wisdom and discernment, you begin to believe a lie that people tell you, which is garbage in, garbage out. If you see something, you're going to want to do it. Not necessarily. I have seen movies and TV shows and read books where. Husbands cheat on their wives. I have never wanted to cheat on my wife. Never. Never. Honestly, though, I, I think for a lot of people, what happens is our natural inclination is to run and want to hide. We want to try and pull back and get away to shelter ourselves. So we read Christian books and watch Christian movies and listen to Christian music because we're trying to hide and we don't want to be involved. I mean, Christians, honestly, we got bad knockoffs for everything. We really do. You know, don't read novels. Read crappy Christian novels. You know, don't listen to rock music. You know, listen to Christian rock music. And don't go see movies or watch crappy Christian movies. You know, that's what you need to watch. It's like near beer. It's nowhere near the real thing. It's just, why would you do that? Right? Now, I, I am not saying that, that all Christian music is bad. And all, there are some, there's some very good Christian music. There's some very good Christian novels. I don't think I've ever seen a good Christian movie. But, you know, <laughs> one day something, you know, will we'll come out that's good. But you have to be careful that you don't just run and hide. People go the other way, too. People go, well, you know, I'm in the world, and that's not a problem because I'm protected from the evil one. I do beer evangelism. I go down to the bar, and I get wasted every night, and I'm like, hey, baby, you want to know about Jesus? You know, that's too far, okay? <laughs> too far. Bring it back. Tension, tension. Involved in the world, protected from the evil one, and we never abuse anything because of God's kindness. We're to be different. We're to be holy. I mean, the problem with hyper-liberalism is they just say, drink whatever, have sex with whatever, and you know, we just can't be people who throw up our arms and say whatever. We cannot be those people. It's like parents and kids. Uh, you put a fence around your yard. Down around the corner from the house where I live in right now, uh, these people moved in, and they put a whole fence around the yard. I'm like, why would you put a whole fence around it? That's kind of weird. And then I realized uh, the other day I'm driving by, and they have these three little kids, and they're playing. And I go, oh, that's why they put a fence around their yard. I mean, you don't want your kid to be a hood ornament on a car no matter how much he wants to be, right? You put a fence around your yard, and that's, that is God's kindness to us. As God's kids, we are to have freedom, but protected by wisdom and truth and discernment so we don't begin to stink like everything else around us. It is tension, tension. We have to be careful not to take this also too far. C.S. Lewis says, heresy is a truth taken too far. Have you ever been to a church that does an evangelistic rally? I shouldn't have you raise your hands. Don't raise your hands for this. Uh, where it's like, invite all your non-Christian friends and bring them in. You know, we're going to have a tent meeting. It's going to be great. You know, anybody ever says that? Just put gas in your car and drive the other way as fast as you can. You know, because typically what they do at these rallies is what do they put up front? A Christian band. 
because, you know, non-Christians are going to come out in droves for the Christian band, you know. And then they put up a pastor up front, and the pastor preaches at them for like an hour, and that goes over like a fart in a wetsuit, you know, because it's like, you know, no one, no one likes that. And if that doesn't work, then they do a skit because, you know, skits are cool when kids love the drama, you know. And it's always about some kid who had sex and feels really bad, and he needs a Bible or something like that. And it's all about bringing them in, bringing them in, bringing them in. And why do you bring them in? Because they don't believe the same thing that you believe. Now, honestly, if you turn the tide on this and the scales, you know, how many of you, if your friend came up and said, hey, y'all, we're having an atheist rally. Why don't you come to my atheist rally with me? And my atheist knockoff band is going to get up and play some music. And uh, we're going to get this atheist guy to get him. He's going to talk to you for an hour and try to get you to believe in nothing. And then, oh, you guys are slow this morning. That's yeah, okay. You know, and yeah, you're going to be outnumbered 10 to 1. You're going to be like meat at a shark party, but it's going to be a whole lot of fun. You know. There's a reason why we wouldn't go. It's the same reason they don't go to one of ours. God's design is not that we keep trying to bring everybody in, but that we go out. He sends us into the world. That's what he does for you and I. It's what Jesus says. He sends us, and when he sends us, we need wisdom and discernment because there can be a tightrope of tension in the world. Verse 16, he says, They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, and here it is. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus sends us into the world, and we will encounter lots and lots of issues when we do that. But what do we have as our compass? Verse 17 says, the truth. Where is the truth found? In the scriptures. In the scriptures. That's where the truth is. I, I, I hate legalists who teach the Bible because they don't talk about God. They talk about us. They don't talk about grace. They talk about your duty to please God. You know, they, they, don't, they, they don't talk about what Jesus did. They talk about what you must do. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit. They talk about all the rules. They ruin it for everybody. It, it's like Christianity without the God. It's terrible. It's all the rules and none of the grace. It's all the obligation and none of the Holy Spirit. And worse, I think, are liberals that come in and say, junk it all, it's all out of date, we're going to be culturally relevant and cool, and they both miss the point. They both miss the point. The key is knowing Scripture well. And then you can talk to whoever, you can have a rudder and a compass that guides your course, you have wisdom and discernment, and you will be all right. Any of you ever have a you know, freaky nut job friend ask you a whole bunch of questions about the Bible? Anybody? Yeah, those are great friends to have. I'm t- they're great. Some of you guys are like, huh? No, you need to get one. Okay, I just walk down Broadway, find some homeless dude, you know, and just talk to him for a while, and get a relative or a homeless guy, you know, that, that thinks the Bible's all about like UFOs and aliens and or someone who believes the Da Vinci Code was actually historically accurate or something like that, you know, because you will learn to know that the scriptures very quickly because they'll ask you some questions. You'll be like. Is that in there? I, I don't. And you'll start reading these things and figuring them out so you can answer some questions. There are confused people out there, but they need to know the truth. I used to listen to late-night radio talk shows, and I'd hear people ask questions, and I'd shut off my radio, and I would answer questions from Scripture because I'd want to be able to do that. I'd want to be able to answer questions. When you hang out with people who disagree with you, your brain will get fat, and it will get lazy. I mean, I like people who disagree with me. Uh, I, there are a couple people that come here that they believe in Jesus and stuff, but all the minor points of theology, you know, they don't agree with me on everything. They're wrong, you know, but, <laughs> but I, I love having discussions with people who disagree with me. You know, you should not just hang out with everybody who just agrees with you. Uh, you need to be able to meet with people who don't understand the words that you say. I... A couple months ago, I'm at my doctor's office, and he goes, he goes, so what are you doing now? So I tell him about Element, and he goes, oh, so what is that? And I, and I talk, well, I talk about Jesus, and I talk about a, a missional church and what the idea is that everybody in the church is a missionary, that we're to touch the world with our lives, that we are in the hands and the feet of Christ in this world. And he's like, 
huh, that's really interesting. He had never heard it before. And so he's asking me, you know, these terms that I'm using, what, what does that actually mean? I mean, if you talk to somebody and, and you say, you know, you need to believe in Jesus, and they say, why? And you say, because it's in the Bible. And they say, where? And you say, in the front? You know, you know oh, you know, there's only one God, and, you know, and where does it say that? In the back? You know, you need to be able to kind of answer some of these questions and people have it. When you're told, don't go into the world, they'll confuse you. Some of you guys are probably already confused, and that's good for you. That's, you know, it should make you want to learn your scriptures. You will see people drink from the toilet every day, and if you have any discernment, it will not cause you to want to drink from the toilet as well. Now, there are two portraits I want to give you out of scripture of what this looks like of stepping into culture. The first one, obviously, I'd say is Jesus. Jesus comes as a Jew, dressed as a Jew, ate as a Jew, went to synagogue as a Jew. Do you think he's going to look like that for the rest of eternity? No, probably not. He came to that culture in that way. I mean, you can't confuse the Thomas Kincaid painting with eternity, okay? okay. Uh, the second one I want you to see is, is, is a guy named Daniel. If you ever get a chance, read the Old Testament book of Daniel. It, it's a great book. Daniel is a guy. He's born in Israel. He's raised his early life in Israel, where when you say God, everybody agrees who that, who that is. God, okay, we got it. Then he's a teenager, and he, gets, and he gets kidnapped and taken to Babylon by a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. If all of your uh, Bible history comes from Veggie Tales, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, did not run a chocolate factory and make chocolate bunnies, Okay. King Nebuchadnezzar runs Babylon, evil place. So the king sees Daniel and his friends, and he realizes, well, they can be helpful in this, so he decides to send them to school. You know where he sends them? Witchcraft Academy. That's where they go. Satan, you. Yay. You know, S-U, put that on your shirt. He studies sorcery and divination, consulting the, the dead. I'm sure his parents are very proud because he got straight A's. Best satanic high priest in the country. Oh, my, I'm so proud of my son, you know. Uh, uh, anyway, so his name gets changed to Balthazar, uh, which is a tribute to the pagan god Marduk. He is pretty deep in culture, pretty deep. It's like me going to Afghanistan and growing a beard if I could get one to grow out all the way and calling myself Muhammad. Yeah, that's, that's like, so how does Daniel, though, feel about King Nebuchadnezzar? How does he treat him? He treats him with love and respect. He loves him and he's nice to him. One night the king gets this dream, and it's a disturbing dream, and so he asks Daniel to interpret it. And so Daniel goes, well... Uh, king, this is what it means. I wish it wasn't this way. And he is honest when he says that because he really does love the king. I wish it wasn't this way. He goes, you're an enemy of God, and he's going to squish your head like a bug. I mean, that's, that's kind of what he says. He is nice to him. He is honest with him. He doesn't take the religious right way of trying to vote him out of power. He doesn't take the left's way of saying, oh, he's spiritual, so that's good enough. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's relationship is one of love and trust because you see Nebuchadnezzar come to Daniel and say, well, what about this? And Daniel's like, this is the truth. This is what it is. He wants to see the king get saved. He wants the king come to know his God and his relationship with him. Now, Daniel looks like he has probably gone too far, like he crossed some lines. But did Daniel ever cross the line of conscience in Scripture? Not at all. Not at all. You know, what did Daniel draw the line with? There were places where Daniel said, I will not do this and you can kill me because I will not cross the line with that. There are a couple of them. He says he would not bow down to the king or to the king's idol, so he wouldn't do that. He would not eat certain foods the king tried to feed him, and he would not stop praying. Some of you need to start, okay? It's not the issue of stopping. It's the issue of starting, you know? And so this decree goes out and it says, you must all stop praying. Anybody who prays to Israel's God is, you know, is going to be thrown to the lion's den. You guys, Daniel the lion's den. Oh, I saw the veggie tales too. Okay, yeah, so th there's, there's another one. Uh, and so Daniel doesn't stop praying. He is publicly praying. He is not ashamed of his God. Daniel goes as far as conscience and scriptures allows. He participates in culture, but he is protected from the evil one, even when Nebuchadnezzar tries to kill him. 
and he, God preserves Daniel's life. Daniel walks in tension. Daniel's probably criticized for not going far enough or even not going too far. If you get shot at from both sides, you're probably doing an okay job. Okay? I'll tell you, element, we get shot at a lot of times right now. People don't understand who we are and what we're doing, you know, and I get shot at all the time. Good place to be. I personally, I think so. You know, I, I've had people come to us and say, you know, you need to come to our rally. And I'm like, no, you know, that's not what I have people come and say, oh, you need to advertise, you know, you need to advertise Element. And I go, no. You know who's the advertisement for Element? You guys. You guys. You're not advertising Element anyway. You're advertising Jesus. Uh, when you live in Babylon, you, you are nice to your neighbors. You love your neighbors. You can go very far without bending your conscience. At times, you may go too far. And at those times, you need to repent. But sometimes, many times, we don't go far enough. And the things Daniel had for resources to keep him straight are the same things that you have for resources to keep you straight. First one is prayer. Prayer, you know, that God would give him wisdom and guide him. God shows up in very unexpected ways throughout Daniel's life, and he will for you also. Uh, the scriptures, Daniel knew the scriptures, uh, probably had much of them memorized since he probably didn't have access to them. And friends, Daniel had a little accountability group. You should all be in a small group. You should all be in one. Daniel has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, one point, they're like, the king's going to kill us if we, if we don't eat that. And they stay together, and they stay on the course because their friendship kept him on the straight path. Small groups. Jesus prays for you and I. In John 17, he knows we're going to be in Santa Maria in 2009, the political, cultural climate that we are, and he lays his hands on us, and he prays for us because we are all missionaries. Verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So we're unified as we walk through Babylon or Santa Maria, holding hands. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So God puts his love on us and we go out. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. And 1 Corinthians actually says we'll see that. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And so Jesus, you know, prays this and then he kind of foreshadows his death and his resurrection. And that work that he started now continues through us. And, you know, Sean asked you, you know, everybody still have all your fingers. Put your hands up like this. Okay. These are his hands. These are his hands. These. You are to be people who live like these are the hands of Christ. You are participants in his work. He brought us, he bought us, and he gave us his love so that we would extend that to other people with the love of the Father. You know, John's gospel finds its culmination in the book of Acts. You see, the Father sends the Son, the Son and the Father send the Spirit, the Father and the Son and the Spirit sends the church, that's you and I, all the way 2,000 years later to Santa Maria, California, that we have been touched, that we might touch, that we have been loved, that we might love, that we've been blessed, that we might bless. The church itself is the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. I am sent and you are sent. It is one of the reasons I actually wanted to plant element as a church because when when a church removes themselves from culture uh, the work of culture by not engaging in it or trying to protect themselves from the evil one or only wanting people brought in rather than going out is when a new church needs to be birthed in the city um and so we come and we do the work that god originally called us to do 
And hopefully we don't get to a point where we get stale and stagnant. You guys continue to reach and love and live how God calls us to. I'm honored, really, that you are a part of Element. I'm glad if you call Element home. Now we need to be God's church to the city, not a building, the people to the city. It is one of the reasons every week that I tell you that we come to communion. Because communion reminds us that as Jesus prays this prayer, he is coming to this place where he is getting ready to die. And so when we take communion, you break that cracker and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. And it reminds us of his body which was broken for us and his blood which was shed for you and I. So that we can, our sin can be taken away and then he resurrects so we have new life and we can live and walk in the strength that he gives. That we now become his hands and feet to the world. It's not words, it's actions. And eventually it becomes words. It is actions in the world, not of the world. We're going to worship God through communion. We're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back of the room. And, you know, maybe you're not in the world enough. Maybe you're too far in it and you've gone overboard. Pray with them. They would love to pray with you to help you figure out where you're supposed to be. Uh, We're going to worship God uh, through communion, through prayer, uh, through song. The band's going to come up as they do. A couple songs. You are invited uh, to take communion, to pray, to ask God where he is calling you, where he would like you to be. And worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side walls in the very back. And we give simply because God gave so much to you and I. Then we also worship God through fellowship where you guys get to hang out with each other, get to know each other a little bit more, and spur one another on and how you live the life. You know, you know, in the world but protected from the evil one. You know, you guys being together will help protect each other. You're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, you guys are helping each other. And it's a beautiful thing. That's why God gave us relationships and restored relationships. That's why. So, again, live your life outside these walls. Okay? I'm in here to rah, 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 kicking the butt, get you moving. Okay? Live. Live. And I'm not, I'm not saying you don't invite people to come here. You, I, I would love for you to invite people to come here. I, think, I would love Element to grow to a place where we can meet the needs of our city because that would be the point of a church, to meet the needs of the community that we're in as best as we can. Let's pray. Father, Uh, I thank you for sending us, for being a God who uh, takes and redeems and restores us, who all all the stuff that gets in the way in our lives of you and our lives live for you. You come, you forgive, you renew, you restore Just like you say, a new heavens and a new earth, you do that in our hearts and in our lives so that we can be your people. So I do ask that this morning we would understand our calling. And though sometimes it may be uncomfortable to be in the world and yet protected, we would understand more and more of who you are by living the call that you place within us. And though sometimes we may be confused, sometimes we may not have all the answers, but we do know you and your love for us. Help us to simply then display that for other people. Amen.